in school, you think your career is going to be so linear of like, okay, I'll do this. And then the next step is that. And the next step is that. And then you talk to any of your mentors. You're like, what was your career like? And they're like, oh, I did this over here. And then I went way over there to do that. And I did this other thing. And then I did a loop-de-loop. And, you know, it's not this linear thing at all. And that's okay. Welcome back to That That Life. This week on the podcast, I'm talking with fellow 2020 graduate, Dr. Rachel Corville. Though you're probably more familiar with Rachel from her YouTube and social media presence as Bellavet, where she shares her experiences as a veterinarian. In this episode, Rachel shares her recent experience of transitioning from ER to GP and the role that mentorship played in that transition. You'll hear as Rachel shares how she identified that she needed to make a change and how she knew that her current practice was the right place for her from a medical and mentorship aspect. Rachel is such a fun and encouraging person, and it's a blast chatting with her. So let's jump into today's episode. All right. So hey, Rachel, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is going to be very helpful, I find, for most of the veterinary students who are especially like that close to graduating here in the next year, because like you and I, we graduated from the pandemic year of 2020, (laughs) everyone's favorite year, (laughs) and we... As we were chatting before we recorded, like we're entering our third year out in practice, essentially. And the mental practice of reflection is so valuable for us at this stage because I don't know about you, but like when I was graduating vet school, I had a somewhat different idea as to what practice life was going to look like, as well as what three years out was going to look like. Not that it was good or bad, it was just different. And I'm really happy with how things have transitioned for me. But for you, where was your headspace when you graduated in relation to what you were going to be doing in practice? Yeah, I think when I graduated, you know, when they ask you, oh, like, what field of veterinary medicine do you want to go into? I was like, oh, emergency medicine. Absolutely. Like, you know, a lot of my hours that I did to get into vet school, we were at a pretty small practice and it was, you know, a little sleepy. And that was my image of like general practice medicine. And I was like, oh, it's kind of boring. Like, you know, I want something that's like fast paced and exciting. And so I definitely thought emergency medicine was like the thing for me. And after going into it, like there's a lot of good things that I got out of it. There's some not good things that I went through, but it was one of those things that I was like, based on what I'm doing now, I was like, I had so many misconceptions about what practice life was going to be and and what I enjoyed doing. And so do you think that's because of the picture that were painted in vet school partly versus social media versus like, because this is obviously something that was unanimous between the two of us. And I know from talking with my classmates, like that's something that we all felt like, what do you think is the source of this? I guess misconception is the best way to put it. Yeah, I think I think it could be like a lot of different factors, especially for each individual person. But for me, I think, at least in my own experience, I was a very stubborn person (laughs) as far as I was the like picture perfect five-year-old kid who's like, I want to be a vet. And then I just kept with it the entire time until it was time to apply. And I do love science and math and those things, but there was definitely a level of stubbornness that was like, I don't want to do any other career path. I want this one. So I think that was a a thread that went into going into vet school and then picking where in the veterinary field I wanted to go. 
And I knew I wanted to work on cats and dogs. So that kind of left me with, you know, general practice or emergency. And throughout vet school, I was like, I don't really think I want to do a specialty thing. And kind of once I had a a fun experience on emergency, I was like, okay, that's what we're doing. And I just, you know, I think it would have been very difficult to have swayed me, you know, even if a future me beamed down was like, hey, here's some advice. I probably would have been like, nope, I'm still doing it. And so (laughs) for me, I think it comes from a little bit of stubbornness and kind of picking one thing. I think if I could beam down and and give myself advice, it would just be like, hey, just be really, really open-minded to a lot of different experiences before you start interviewing for jobs. And did your school, were you tracking or were you, no, you weren't tracking. Okay. No, no. So you could do electives that were in your field of interest, but I had to do equine, like a rotation equine and, and food animal and, and things like that. So, yeah. Okay. I feel like in those schools where you don't track, cause like I didn't track, it does allow you to be a little bit more open-minded because I think of people who they maybe didn't have a ton of veterinary experience like myself going into vet school and then you're there and they're like, okay, in two years, you have to decide where you want to focus. And you're kind of like, ah, what do I do? So when you actually make that decision, like, yes, you can still transition away from that when you graduate, but it makes it a little bit harder and it puts a little bit more emphasis on trying to make that decision as like, this is the choice you're making and it's going to change what you do for the rest of your life. Like that's a lot of pressure to put on someone at that age or not necessarily age, but that stage of their career. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's still that thing where when you graduate vet school, it it all circles back around to the idea that you're going to have an idea of what you think is going, practice is going to be like, and then where you're going to be in three years. But the reality is it's, it's going to change and that's okay. For myself, like I honestly, I went through a period where I thought I was going to change jobs. Yeah. I was just something was look, I was looking for something different, something new. And I had ideas about like the ideas that I wanted my life and practice to be. I didn't know if it would happen at my current practice. And so I started looking elsewhere. I ultimately stayed at my current practice. I haven't gone anywhere. But for you, you had some changes in what you thought practice was going to be like and what you wanted it to be like. And then also just there was like a change in what you needed for mentorship. And that's something that I feel can kind of way make or break like where you end up in practice. But there's also just like when you graduate vet school, you don't necessarily know what it is that you truly need in your mentorship. But also it is okay if you figure that out along the way and then end up making a career change. So without going too much into like the nitty gritty, how, why, what, when of before, in your position now, because you went from emergency medicine to GP land, yay GP land, (laughs) what were, I guess we'll focus more on like the first, just the, the change in the pace of practice. Like what was it? initially about GP that made you go, nah, I don't really want that. But now you realize is something that you really enjoy. Yeah. I think it was just, I didn't think that there would be enough excitement or that there'd be enough interesting things. I thought it would be like a ton of vaccines or a lot of the hours that I did before vet school and GP was, you know, I'd be like sitting around for a while or, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, in the thick of it. And so, and I would say as I feel like 
we all know vets and practitioners who are, there are some that are like, yeah, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And, you know, they're very sure of themselves or, or they're, if something goes wrong, they don't worry about it a ton. They're just like, okay, we're going to fix that problem. And I am not that person. I am the kind of person who, you know, if I make a mistake or if I do something little, or if I'm using a drug that I, or, you know, I'm prescribing a drug that I've never prescribed before. I'm like the triple checker. Like I am very like anxious about those things. And so I think part of it for me was going into emergency. I was like, one, I like the fast pace speed of it, but also I was afraid of a lot of the really big cases that would come in the hit by car, the block cat, the laceration repair, you know, all of those things. And I thought going into practice, I was like, oh, you know, if I throw myself into the craziness of it all and into a really busy practice, then I'll learn and I won't be afraid of those things anymore. And then I'll be happy. And through my transition, I realized that like not being fearful of a case or of something coming in the door is not the same as being happy. Like after I, you know, knew how to handle those cases I still had all of that anxiety around those cases. It was still like a stressful, fast-paced place. And so then I was like, okay, wait, like not being afraid of something is not the same as enjoying it. And there were some of the cases that I really did truly enjoy. I love a good wound repair. And so going into general practice, I think some of the misconceptions I had, I was like, wait a second, you know, because in the very beginning of my first year out, like it was emergency. I didn't have a schedule. I didn't have any of that. And I, one of the big struggles I had was time management and then going into general practice, you know, all of my schedules are there and all of my appointments are 30 to 40 minutes. I needed that structure. It was really, really helpful. And between that and being able to like make relationships with, you know, clients, I realized that there are so many things about general practice that with my personality actually meshed very, very well. So, And of course, like it took that time of you actually experiencing it for for you as like a stubborn human being to be like, oh, wait, this is actually what I need. And so that's not bad. That's just how it is for you and how it is for a lot of people. Like my own experience was I went through vet school thinking I was going to be a horse vet. That's what I was going to do. And then I had a similar thing where there were scenarios where I was like, okay, if I just put myself in there, like the fear will go away. And then again, I realized I was like, no, actually the fear is still there and it's just, or it's not there as much. And it's just stressed. Now I'm just stressed in it and I don't want that. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'll do mixed animal because I love me some sheep and goats, love them. But it still was looking at that lifestyle of being a mixed animal vet. And I was like, okay, nope, that's, that's not what's good for me either. So landing in small animal general where again, the scheduling was regular, looking at the types of patients and the types of cases that we would see, like that was definitely more my jam. Granted, in the last couple of years, well, last couple of years is pretty much the entirety of practice, I realize. (laughs) But um, so in the back half of practicing so far, I guess is how I'll put it, I've realized that there's a like certain types of cases that I do enjoy more and more and others that I'm like, this is kind of boring now. And I'm looking for something new and different, which again, like there's a lot of our classmates that are either making that change and transitioning to a completely different type of practice, a different facility, 
or they're making changes within their practice to say, you know what, I'm going to see more of the emergency cases or I'm going to do more of surgery stuff. You have to have that time and get your feet wet and also to build your confidence so that you then can sit down with your practice manager and with your boss and be like, hey, this is where I started. This is where I've come to. These are the things I want to do and I feel confident enough to do them. Can we make this happen? And so like, again, it's that relationship building side of it. So, and part of that comes from mentorship. So like, we'll we'll circle back around to that beautiful word of mentorship, (laughs) which for you, like you needed a different type of mentorship than what you initially got. So right now, and I guess like in the last year then, like how has the mentorship developed and what have you identified as your needs in mentorship? Yeah. Well, something that my boss does that's really great is anyone who comes on to the practice, any associate veterinarian, she gives them a mentorship program, no matter if they've been out for 10 minutes or 10 years. And, you know, some of them they fly through and, you know, because it's not always just about mentorship of like, here's how to be a vet. Sometimes it's like, here's what our hospital is like. Yes. This is the standard of care that we have. And, you know, so even a vet that's been out 10 years, they've been in a bunch of different hospitals. And so it's nice to have a little like introduction, if that makes sense. And so I wasn't fresh out of school. I It was like, you know, about a year in. And I was coming off of emergency, so I felt super confident in the wound cares, the blocked cats, the, you know, vomiting diarrhea, the respiratory, you know, infection cases and pneumonia cases and things like that. And so I was like, okay, I feel like I have these chunks of knowledge that I like I'm set, I'm good to go. But I've never treated an ear infection. I haven't given any vaccines. Do I know where they go? Absolutely not. And so I had all of these like gaps in my knowledge and in the first couple times that I spoke with my now boss, I was like, I don't want to hoodwink her. I want her to know that I have these gaps and I'm going to need mentorship in these areas. And I want to be super transparent about it. And she was on the phone with me and she was like, oh, I wouldn't be talking to you if I didn't already know that. And I was like, glad <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same page. And then, you know, I was like, I'm going to be really proactive. And I think after, you know, the year that I've had, I think I know what kind of mentorship I want. And I was like, I think I want like, you know, meetings every other week for the first month and for maybe the first two months. And then after that, maybe once a month or something like that. So maybe, you know, a good three, four months of mentorship, you know, to really get me into GP. And she was like, cool, I have the first like nine months planned out for you, like step by week by week. And I was like, cool. It's like I asked for ABC and she was like, here's the alphabet. And that was really amazing. And so for the first week I shadowed for the first Two weeks after, two, three weeks after that, I had hour-long appointments. And then it kind of went in these like two, three-week chunks where I had 45-minute appointments, 40-minute appointments with little breaks here and there, 30-minute appointments with breaks, and they took the breaks away. And then I was essentially, you know, on the speed, on the schedule Mm -hmm. of what I, I needed to be. And then, you know, I had always been like, I always was practicing with another vet that was in the building. And then after the next chunk was I was opening the hospital, you know, for the first couple hours I was by myself before another vet got there or I was closing the hospital, you know, I was alone by myself for the last couple hours of the day. It was quite a gradual transition. And I think that part of it, I really needed that like overarching, like skeleton, that overarching structure. 
and the check-ins was really great because, you know, it's great to have your questions answered on shift. Like, and I still ask questions, you know, of my fellow vets and they ask me questions, which is cool. But I think one of the biggest needs that I had going into my second job was that, that like overarching structure and that was able to be given to me, which was cool. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at Venex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. That is so cool. And hearing that there was someone out there who's like, you know what? No matter who comes into my practice, like this is this is the plan that we're going to follow. It's going to be nine months. Um, granted, for people who've been out a bit longer, it's probably different. But yeah, yeah. In general, just someone who at the core of it, it's like, why did she develop this? Was it so that she could have control over the practice? Probably not. It's really that she's like, hey, I want this place to succeed. I want you to succeed. I want you to find the things that make your heart like jump for joy. And I want to help you follow those passions and develop like what your niche is going to be in practice. Like that speaks volumes over hey, we have a mentorship program and you're like, cool, great, awesome. (laughs) So it's uh, having the like the know how to like ask those deeper questions. And like for you, you you had that, like you got that feeling from her is just in that conversation, that fact that she was like, that's great that we're talking about mentorship. This is what I have. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. Because like even like with my own boss talking about mentorship with them, at the core of it, what made me say yes to my current job was in the start, he's like, okay, like he knew he was hiring a new grad, which as we've just talked about, vast majority of new grads change their job within the first couple, like first five years. So like, that's a huge investment and loss on when bringing on a new grad. And for him to say, you know what, even if you were to change jobs in the next two to three years, I want to know that I'm sending a well-qualified and capable vet out into the world. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, come on, man. Like, Yeah, that's how kind of making a parallel that's not veterinary medicine related at all. So I just bought my first apartment, my first house. Ooh, but it's, it's exciting. So exciting. And the realtor that I used I actually used when I was uh, trying to find a lease and his name's Brian. And he was just like, oh, like, I'm more of like a house guy. Like, I don't really do leases as much. But like, you know, it was a friend of a friend who referred yeah. me to him. And he was like, but I'll help you. And he was like, listen, this is not really how I make my money. So I don't care what, you know, lease you sign, if it's an expensive lease or a cheap lease. He was like, I just want you to find the right spot to live. And I was just like, cool. And then when I went to, you know, when I was ready to buy a house, I was like, oh, it's Brian. No, no, <laughs> no question. Because he already showed me. He was just like, I'm in this to, you know, be 
someone who can find you a home and, you know, help you in a really genuine way. And so that was kind of a similar thing to your boss. Like, okay, you care about like me as a person. Exactly. And like that, this blew my mind. I was like, wow, for someone to say that in this profession, knowing that they could have a huge investment loss, Mm -hmm. like it speaks volumes. And it's kind of like the underlying I guess like the underlying theme to a lot of these problems that we're having, it's like, okay, how do we genuinely care for one another? And in mentorship, like how do you show that you genuinely care? A, you have to first genuinely care, (laughs) but also (laughs) like that's what the core of mentorship is or should be is like, how do you find the people who have like these awesome hearts who and like help them to develop their passions within the profession and then foster that. Because then for you, you've had this awesome experience. You're now able to go on and like you have your YouTube, you have your Instagram, and you're able to translate that into how you provide information and care for those veterinary students and pre-vet students. And also like, does your practice take externs? Uh, yes, it does. Oh my gosh. It's a practice we're owned by MVP or Mission Veterinary Partners and they have a whole like externship. Yes. Oh, it's awesome. Absolutely. So I already know that their externship program is amazing. So again, like just knowing that that is like the core and the ethos of the practice, like what more could you really want in a practice? Like no matter like what's going on, if you have like a core value of mentorship, that's always already a good sign. Yeah. So... Then looking at, like if we're talking, like we are talking to veterinary students and new grads who maybe they're looking at the fact that they're like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do in practice. Or maybe they're in practice and they're like, I think I need to make a change. For you who went through a career change, like what were the thoughts in your head that made you go, hmm, maybe I need to make a change? Oh, that's a good question. I would say... I had a therapist throughout my first year and I still talk to him. And um, I got a therapist at the beginning when I was making the transition when I was moving because for me, my mental health takes a dip anytime I uproot and move to a new place. And so after twice that happening and me not really understanding it, I was like, this time I got it. I'm going to get a therapist before I move. And then they're going to help me through this transition. And I thought that was kind of just going to be the end of it. And then, you know, I went through the difficulties of first year and realizing that, you know, my first job wasn't my forever job. And and my therapist was actually the one who kept on asking, so why don't you quit? And the first couple of times he asked me that, I was just like, again, stubborn. I was just like, I'm not a quitter. And I thought the first couple of times he asked me that, you know, when I would tell him about a hard day or a problem that I had, I thought he was wanting me to like buck up and, you know, like Mm -hmm. no more woe is me, you know, kind of say like, well. Like reverse psychology type of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Like asking me those kind of like digging questions of, of that. And so, but he never said that that's why he was asking me those questions. And then as the year went on, he was like, okay, so why don't you quit? And then my answers switched from like, because I'm not a quitter, because I think I can do this because it's hard, but I'm just going to, you know, be tougher. And and then it, it started being like, well, I need to stay a year. Well, I need to, you know, I would feel bad leaving right now. The answers changed throughout the year pretty dramatically. And then it became like, oh, well, like, you know, I don't want to leave in summer when it's the busiest time, right? I need a contract signed before I feel comfortable putting in my letter of resignation, you know? And so I would say once that shift happened and when I stopped being like so like 
oh, I'm going to be tough. And it went more to like the logistics of how to exit. That's when I was like, okay, it's time. I need to start interviewing and kind of doing that. So basically you had an outside source that you were able to use as a sounding board and thankfully help kind of process through the emotions and thoughts that were going through your head. But you being stubborn human being that you were, which again, like I'm saying this because I'm like, I'm also very stubborn. Oh, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I feel it's the nature of who we are as vets. Like having those kind of sounding boards, having those friends, families, therapy sessions. Yeah. Like, they're very valuable. And having someone who knows you well enough that they can press those hard questions, I think can be really valuable whether you're looking to make a change or not looking to make a change. So once you identified and you're like, okay, I need to make a change, <laughs> then you started interviewing. Then you like in finding your new job, like what was it? I feel like we touched on it a little bit, but what was it that made you go, oh, this is what I needed? So I had reached out to an old friend. He was an older practice owner that I had met in vet school. I did some interviews with him and his associate. And they were very like forward with mentorship. It's um, it's Mark Roy. Oh, yes. Dan yes. Mark I know what you're talking about. And so I was like, okay, I feel like I'm in this position and I want my next job to be I was like, I just want it to be better. I just want it to be a step in the right direction. I don't need it. You know, I don't want to vilify my old job or idolize my new one. I was like, I just need something that is a better fit. And I think a, a big part of that was mentorship. And, you know, those guys, you know, preach this, this mentorship. So yes. I was like, okay, I just, I didn't even want, I didn't even call him to be like, I need a job. It was more like, like, let's talk about what I did wrong the first time and how I cannot make the same mistakes the second time. Like, well, like, what is it that I can control that I can, I can make, you know, better in this change. And, you know, we had this long talk and at the end of the talk, you know, it was very much, I was just asking for advice at the end of the talk. He was like, Hey, stick around for another month, make sure that, you know, a job change is what you really want to do. And if that's the case, call me and I'll set you up with interviews in all of my hospitals in the city. And I was just like, okay, cool. And so I would say one of my biggest pieces of advice is one networking in person, or it was a pandemic, so like over the phone, or it's something that, you know, is not just opening 20 tabs from the AVMA classifieds, which is what I did to start. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but actually calling up someone that you're like, okay, I just want advice. And it doesn't even have to be begging for a job. It can just be like, let's just have a conversation about jobs. And you never know what will happen, you know, out of those conversations. And so then I went and I, there were three hospitals I was interested in. And so I interviewed at all three of those hospitals and they were great, but they had very different clientele and they had a very different pace. And I remember the hospital that I ended up working at, I went in for my first interview on a Sunday, but in, on a Sunday, it's one of their lighter days. They're only open four hours. And so it wasn't like a full on day, yeah. accurate representation of what a normal day looks like. And yeah. so my boss was like, hey, come back on a Tuesday, you know, and, and we'll do kind of like the official interview. This was kind of more just like a meet and greet. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And by then I, I think I had interviewed at all the other practices. And so I had come back and she was just like, so like, at the end of our little, you know, working interview, she took me aside. She's like, so how's it going? Because she knew that I, because they're all the same, they're in the same group. And um, she was like, so how's it going at the other ones? And I was like, I was like, they're all great, you know, trying to be very, you know, cordial. But I was <laughs> like, like oh, please okay. come work with us. <laughs> exactly. I was like, they're all great. But like, I think you guys are my current favorite. And she was just like, that's really good to hear oh. because we have other candidates, but you're our current favorite too. Oh. And so that's kind of, 
how I knew that I was going to say yes to them. But there was a technician friend that I had that had worked for her. And when I was talking to her about all of this, I was like, I think I'm going to accept a job with with Dr. So-and-so. And she was just like, I used to work with her. She's like, you guys could not be a better like match. She was oh. like, I think you're going to do so great. And I think your personalities really meld well together. So it was also nice to have that third party. Yeah. And I think that just goes back to the networking of it all. Like you never know who knows who and what kind of connections you could have or make. And, and I think what people also don't realize is in the veterinary community, like you never know. I think people are a lot more willing to connect you with people than you think. Like, I think sometimes it's scary to be like, you know, can you talk me up to so-and-so because mm-hmm. I want to connect with them. And like, if you have a middle person, like there's so many times they're like, oh my gosh, I would love to. Or if someone came to me and was like, hey, do you know so-and-so? Could you talk to them about me or, you know, see yeah. if set up an interview or something? I'd be like, yeah, like it's exciting. It's fun. And so, so I think uh, it's easy to underestimate that part. Yeah. I mean, the veterinary profession is so, so, so small. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't think people fully get the idea until you like start going to these conferences and you're like, it's the same people every single time. <laughs> but it's um like all my friends are at these conferences and which is why I'm so sad to not be going to AVMA this year. Because yeah. so everyone was like, hey, are you going? I was like, not this year. I miss all my friends. <laughs> but like when you go to these places, again, like when I was at VLC back in January, I feel like I've talked about that on almost every single episode of the podcast since then. (laughs) But it was one of the best networking experiences that I have had. And that's kind of like the purpose behind a lot of these conferences is so that you can get to know people who are in uh, similar stages as you, people who have different opportunities available, who want to be your mentor. Because like the number of times, like I literally, when I was there, I was like, I just called up one of my friends. And I was like, hey, do you want to chat? And sat down, chatted. Awesome stuff came out of it that what neither of us were even planning on. But like, that's what you can expect. Like when you go to these places and don't underestimate it. So like for veterinary students and new grads, if you're wondering about making a change or just want to know more about the profession, like A, get involved first off and go to these places, go and network. Cause I'm honestly, as soon as you make one friend, you'll have 10. Yeah. And that's just the way that the profession works. And like, also because like the people who want to see this profession succeed and want to see the new generation of vets succeed, they're going to be at these places. Yeah. That's going to be the community community that you want to be a part of. So that would be like my little, my little slice to throw in there. But what would you add to that? Yeah, I would say, and I actually met Dr. Crocker last night and Dr. Ashley Gray, the Southern Pet Vet. And so uh, we went to dinner last night and we were talking about this because we had each talked like why we started our social media accounts. And so I asked Dr. Crocker and, and part of her answer was we had talked about, we kind of like mutually agreed that at some point in our career, we met that vet who was like, you're like, oh, I want to be a vet. What advice do you have? And they're like, don't do it. And you're like, you know, it's this big letdown. It's yeah. So she was like, I loved my job and I wanted to show people, you know, that it's okay to love your job. It's ideal. And it's also, you know, this, this thing that if you do love it, like, you know, show other people and kind of show them how you got there. And so I think it's also an important thing with the networking is try to find someone who, uh, one is positive and two is someone that you see their career and you're like, okay, I would like to have that one, please. If I could, you know, pick it out of this <laughs> market aisle and see how they got there. And I think 
at the beginning of our chat, we kind of touched on it of how, you know, in school, you think your career is going to be so linear of like, okay, I'll do this. And then the next step is that. And the next step is that. And then you talk to any of your mentors and you're like, what was your career like? And they're like, oh, I did this over here. And then I went way over there to do that. And I did this other thing. And then I did a loop-de-loop and, you know, it's not this linear thing at all. And that's okay. And so I think finding someone who not only has a career that you're interested in, but also, you know, is a positive light and, you know, says like, hey, I love it. And this is how I got to loving it because I'm sure in their career they had a dip where they did not love it. And, yeah. you know, they then they got out of that. So, no, that is so cool. And I just love like that's part of the reason I do podcasting is I love hearing these stories about like where people came from, their journey through the profession. And again, like for us, we're just getting started and yeah. it's so freaking cool. Mm-hmm. But just knowing the kind of people that like we did not get here on our own, like as we were just talking about, like there was a team of veterinarians that at each stage of our progression have played a role in mm-hmm. helping us grow and develop. And now like we're at this position, like we're in a sweet spot, quite honestly, where we are far enough away from vet school that we are able to stand on our two feet on our own. Mm-hmm. But we're also close enough to vet school that we still understand the challenges and the scaries and the stressors of what it's like to be a vet student. So we can speak to both groups pretty well and we can be that bridge. So for you, and I feel like this is a good transition to kind of round us out from the conversation and provide you a space to talk about what you're doing on social media. But yeah. it's how do we then invest everything that's been given to us back into the community? How are we now helping? the next generation of veterinarians and pre-vet students grow and develop in their passions and their interests, which now I'll, I'll turn it over to you and kind of say, so where, like, what are you doing and then where can people find more information about that? Yeah. So, so my account is Bellavet on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Um, and on Instagram, it's DVM. That's kind of a big reason of why I started everything. And I originally started it with my YouTube channel because I got into vet school a year early. I did the whole don't finish your bachelor degree route. And so a lot of my friends were applying the next cycle. And when they found out I got in early, they were asking me the same questions over and over again. I was like, oh, I can make a video about this. I was really into YouTube at the time. And I was expecting them to be like, oh, no, it's fine. But they were like, I needed it yesterday. When can you record this? And so that was my first video is how to get into vet school. And I was in that video mentoring people who were just, you know, younger than me or just earlier in the process than I was. And then that was kind of the trend that I kept up throughout everything is I would get further in the process and then kind of talk about, you know, it to the younger students or the earlier students than, than me. And first it was how to get into vet school. And then it was like, what's vet school like and how to survive vet school and how to thrive in it. And then, you know, now I feel like I'm in this era of, okay, I'm like a new ish grad, you know, I'm not straight out of school, but For early um, career. Yeah. Yes. And so how to speak to the people who are, who are fresh out of school and, and kind of mentor them. And, and I think that's something that I'll always try to continue to do, not just to the most recent group that's, you know, right behind me, but to all the way back to pre-vet students still. Like I never want to, to lose those early students. And so between my YouTube channel is kind of how I do a lot of my more like long form mentorship stuff. And I also think it's really important to whether or not you're deciding if you want to be a veterinarian or if you're deciding like what type of veterinarian you want to be. I think it's really important to 
understand not only what their job day-to-day life is, but also what their lifestyle is like. You know, do they have a work-life balance? Do they enjoy their, you know, time outside of work? What hobbies can they have? And kind of really be able to officially see yourself in that position is important. And so that's why, you know, some of my posts on social media are not vet med related at all. And I think that's also a really important side to show, to be like, okay, is this something that's going to be compatible with my life and, and all that? It's really cool. And it's like I said, it's really fun to follow along and see how are the people who graduated the same year as me progressing? Like, what are the challenges they're facing? What are the things that they're really excited about? And there's a lot of parallels that are happening because, again, it's like we're in a similar life stage, essentially. But for like veterinary students and and new like official new grads, there's yeah. a lot of value that can be provided there. So I'm really excited that you are in the Vetstagram community and sharing your experience. And we're going to put all the information for your YouTube, your TikTok and your Instagram in the show notes so that people can come and find you. I invite you guys to go and say hi. She's a really sweet human being. Definitely wants to see you guys succeed. Absolutely. So I mean, with that, I'll say, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking about your experience, being vulnerable in that way. And I think this will be really valuable for a lot of students. So with that, I'll say thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right, you guys, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life. <laughs>